Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your word again. I pray with anticipation. May your Holy Spirit use it within our hearts to bring us to a better appreciation of who you are and what you require of us, your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit today. We're going to um, start off in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. But as a first, I'm not going to ask you to turn them. Instead, we're going to hopefully have a few verses on the overhead. It works. <laughs> I just want to give you a, a flavor of what's up there because it's apparently just another one of these long lists that we frequently find in the Old Testament. And we might find ourselves asking, well, why on earth are these lists here? In the normal course of things, we might only go to this part of the Bible when we're looking for a bit of interesting stabbing and catastrophe and a whole heap of unpronounceable names. On the face of it, this is perhaps a passage to be skipped over, but in doing so, we will miss a great deal because it's actually a fantastic lesson in the power of cooperation. It speaks so powerfully about the possibilities of doing great tasks, which in the face of it appear too hard for even the too hard basket. But they can be completed if you have the right attitude. Now, it might be that you need some context. You're not very familiar with the book of Nehemiah. It's a book about the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem hundreds of years after both Israel and Judah had been dragged off into captivity by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And that was a punishment for their unfaithfulness to God. Now this rebuilding <laughs> was an absolutely enormous task. The Jerusalem that King David had conquered from the Jebusites was about 12 acres in size. So that's about eight-foot football fields. I haven't counted it, but I think if you think about Jubilee Park up the road, that's kind of the size Jerusalem was. But then Solomon got busy, and he enlarged the city to include the Temple Mount area, and therefore it nearly tripled in size to about 32 acres. And then later, King Hezekiah made it even bigger, 135 acres, and so that wall was very long. And the subsequent work had done even more and made it five meters wide. Okay, so think about a space, 135 acres with a five meter wide wall. I don't know how high it was, but obviously much higher than a man. And rebuilding all of that, because the whole thing was destroyed, is what we're reading about here. Well, that's a very serious amount of stone, a mountain of rubble. And uh, with that lying on the ground and looking at it, it must have been a very depressing thing to live with every day because it was a symbol of utter defeat and humiliation. The people were powerless. Uh, the city could not defend itself at all and if it couldn't defend itself, then there was no way that any trade was going to take, take place there. And so they were stuck in this vicious circle. They couldn't get forward and it carried on for a really long time. So how did the, this pitiful stalemate change? Well, they got together under this inspiring God-appointed leader, Nehemiah. Everyone, well, if you read the story, nearly everyone, from the greatest to the least, did their share, even though it wasn't actually the most obvious kind of work they might do. They shared a common goal and a focus, and so they got the work done. They cooperated. Now that caused me to think, 
What other piece of scripture reminds me about cooperation in the context of the church? Well, I'll ask you now to turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 4. And this doesn't mean that we're going to forget Nehemiah because there's a repeating of themes and it's very typical of the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many Old Testament events are often dismissed as just a good story. But when we look back at them, because we have the blessing of knowing the gospel, we can often see very illuminating parallels. In Nehemiah, we see God's people working together to rebuild a stone wall that will ultimately nourish and protect them. Here in Ephesians, we will see God's people working together to build a fleshly and spiritual wall, the church. And this will nourish and protect us. Yes? So let's read, starting in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Look around you. In this room today, there are no two people who are the same. We are different sexes, we're different colours, we're different weights and shapes, and we even come from different parts of the world. But as believers, we all have one thing in common, Christ as our head. No matter what we say or think or do, we are held together by this unshakable tie. Now we might not be able to physically see it, but we are nonetheless bonded and directed as one body by our Lord. If we rely on anything else or anyone else, then we will only see chaos. Because our body will be disjointed and pull against itself and fail. However, just as the people of Jerusalem are united to build that wall, if we take our designed spaces in the living building of the church and submit to the Lord's shaping, our body will be unified and effective to do His work. Now I want to look most specifically at verse 16. There are some notable things about the language Paul has used here. First of all, when he speaks about the whole body, he means exactly that. The whole, every single part, every nook and cranny. It doesn't just mean those folks who are right at the back of the church, that they're exempt somehow. You know, I can see what you're doing from up here. <laughs> It means all without exception. So, every single believer has a place and a purpose. Now, that might cause some turmoil for us. We might be a bit wrong-minded. We think to ourselves, well, <laughs> you know, I come to church to be blessed. Not a blessing. So please don't waste my time with the service nonsense. Or maybe we're fearful of our own abilities, saying like Moses, 
O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I just don't have the abilities to do what you ask. The thing is that neither of these viewpoints are scriptural. The Bible tells me repeatedly that very definitely God has prepared both a special place and a special task in his body for me. For me. Yes. For you and you and you. For every single believer. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself or what you can do. If you call Jesus Lord, you do belong to a family. And the Lord doesn't see what you see. He sees your potential. Now that might be a big thing. You know, there are some folk who, who do, go, do go on to become high-profile missionaries or become mega evangelists like Billy Graham. But maybe your task is little. You might just make tea out the back on a Sunday. Or maybe, nobody even really knows who you are. But at home, you pray for every single believer in the church. Nobody knows. But every kind of obedient service is special and necessary. That one who prays for their brothers and sisters in secret, faithfully, is just as worthy of honor in God's kingdom as that one who stands in front of hundreds of thousands of people. They are both fitting into the role and the space that was designed for them in the body of the church. And therefore, the work of the church will go forward successfully in a way that it wouldn't if they weren't there. So every single one of us is important in the scheme of things. It's just like that back in Nehemiah. If just one person had thought, nah, you know, I can't be bothered by building the wall three meters high, I'll just stop here. <laughs> well, the whole wall would have been a waste of time, wouldn't it? And this is why we cannot under underestimate the worth of being obedient and doing our particular designed part for the body. The next interesting word is joined. Here it's used in the sense of something being joined together, not saying like, I've joined the RSA. The way it's written in the original Greek speaks of both a present and a continuous process. In other words, this joining that we're talking about is happening right now as we are seated here, and it will continue in us as we leave and carry on until the very moment we die. The Lord is shaping for us a very close and intimate spiritual joint with each other. And the Greek term from which this phrase was translated is one used in construction to represent the, the whole of this elaborate and time-consuming process in which stones were fitted together for a fine building. Now think about it. You have to, you have to prepare those surfaces. You have to cut them. You have to rub them and test them so that they... They fit together perfectly. They were held together by dowels, so the dowels have to be put in the right place. You have to make a hole for them, and then you have to fit the dowels with molten lead. There was a whole lot of stuff going on, and this, this word meant that whole process. So it reminds us of the, the careful joining together of every component in a structure. Every, every part is precisely cut to fit snugly and strongly and beautifully with every other part. Nothing is out of place, defective, misshapen, or inappropriate. Hmm. And this is exactly the work that God is doing with us here in this church and every other church where God reigns as Lord. 
Why does he do that? Well, he does this so that our unity will be a picture to the rest of the world of what a relationship with God ought to look like. Now, if you think about it, that's a very serious responsibility to be God's representative. We here this morning are supposed to show the folk outside why it's a good idea to have a relationship with God. Firstly, as individuals, and secondly, as a group. Of course, the question is how well do we do that? How do our actions and attitudes speak to the world? When they see us, are they drawn to or are they pushed away from the church? Let's make it personal. How do my attitudes and actions within the church speak to the world? How do I fulfill that responsibility to be God's representative? Let's move on. On a casual reading, Nehemiah 3 is a story about a bunch of folk with weird names building a stone wall. Big deal. But what sort of testimony to God do you think the rebuilding of that wall around Jerusalem was to the people who were there? I reckon it would have been the talk of the day for miles and miles around. Can you imagine? Have you seen what the Israelites are doing up the road? They're taking that giant pile of rubble and they're turning it back into a wall. And they're sticking at it. It's amazing. I can't believe it. After hundreds and hundreds of years, they're building the wall back to what it was. Do you think people would have been impressed? So, wouldn't that be a great thing for today's church as well? If we could, if we could attract people in the same way? How do we do that? Well, it's cooperation again. But this time it starts with God. We are stones in a wall too, but we are living stones, not dead granite. That means that we have a will, and our will must be subjected to the shaping process. We must cooperate with God in the process of sanctification. What is the Lord saying to us today about the way we submit to a shaping hand? Do you think he is pleased with us, or maybe we could do some more? Each and every one of us needs to go before him in prayer to ask that question individually, and also sometimes corporately, and we must listen and be prepared to act on the answer. Let's look again at verse 16. We now see that we're not only joined together, but the closeness of that union is further emphasized when we read that we are knit, and some translations say held together. The Greek term used is a philosophical one, which talks about the process of arguments being brought together in order to prove or demonstrate something. Like I'm doing right now, I'm making a whole bunch of arguments to make one big point. It's knitting everything together. Now, we might understand knitting just as a process of making a jersey. But that's not an unhelpful picture. You know, we take some balls of wool, and on their own, those balls of wool, <laughs> they're really not much use. But we unravel them, and then we weave the yarns around together in a logical and ordered way, skillfully, and then they become the proper shape for a useful garment. And this is God's intention for his people and his church, that we too would be useful 
and fit for purpose. Now you might also say that Nehemiah's wall was knit together too because <laughs> if you don't take very much care, what stone goes where, well you just end up with a pile of rocks, not a wall. Like wall and rocks, God brings his people together and shapes them to show his argument to the whole world. His proposition for life, which is the worth and value of a relationship with him. The promise of eternal life in his kingdom. And it's all demonstrated, or should be demonstrated, by the shape that people see in the church here on earth. Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of the church as a body made of many parts, carefully fitted and held together under the headship and direction of Christ. Thus guided and constructed, it will move smoothly and in the specific direction intended by its head. But these parts still have joints between them. They haven't become a continuous mash of the same stuff. And this recognizes that each of us is a special and unique creation of God and that we do bring individual talents and abilities to the service of the body. There is balance in this. Imagine a body that had <laughs> too many feet and no legs, or perhaps a hand with no fingers. It would be pretty useless. But God has crafted his church carefully to do its work so that there will be a right balance of skills and talents provided, provided that each piece does its work as it was supposed to. So hopefully by now we agree that we all have a part to play, but we might also be asking how hard should we play it? Well, the word supplies here gives the answer. Paul used the Greek word epikorygia, and this means to give generously or lavishly. In the ancient days in Greece at the great festivals, the eminent playwriters of the day would present their productions. Well, you know, Greek plays are a big deal. They have a, a chorus. They were expensive to put on. And so public-spirited citizens would generously offer to defray the entire expenses of that play. And that gift that they gave was described by this word kerygia, which is the root of the word we are talking about. And it always carries with it the sense of generosity and abundance. You know, people wanted to see their fellow citizens enjoy a play, and they had the means to make that happen. So rather than than, you know, like we do now, saying, this place sponsored by Acme Widget Co. They just generously gave from their hearts to make that happen. That's what we're reading about here. Our passage in Nehemiah is also a picture of generous cooperation. The folk who built that wall gave very generously of their time, and quite possibly of their wealth. Because if we read about what sort of people they were, they all had proper jobs. They were goldsmiths and perfumers and priests. But with their eye on the task, they set those things aside and they gave everything to get the project done. Let's talk some more about joints. You know, in some circumstances, a joint can describe something that is included in a structure that is completely rigid. It doesn't move at all. But if we talk about a joint in the sense of an arm or a leg, it has potential for movement, doesn't it? 
Paul's use of this word can help us to understand the flow that happens in the church when Christ, as the head, gives so generously to the body, which then moves and spreads the blessing around through the joints so that everybody shares in it as, it need, as it's needed. And then they pass back their thanks and worship to the head. And with this image in mind, we might understand what is intended by this phrase, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Let's be under no illusions as to the importance and significance of personally and completely being involved in sharing the burden. The great theologian Calvin wrote this. He said, If we want to be considered members of Christ, let no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for the benefit of each other. This quote highlights the contribution of each member to the life and development of the body as a whole. You and I are part of that body and therefore it speaks directly to us. So we should be thinking all the time about whether as we go about we, we add or we take from the body. We might think that what we, we do or fail to do only affects us. But God's word here clearly shows the error in that thinking. The truth is that when any one of us fails to do what they were intended to do, the consequence is that the rest of the body loses something. I find that very humbling to think about. To personally recognize that there might be some measure of paralysis in the church, that that joint is stiffened if I am not working here at my full strength. So may God help us to come to know what our gifts are. May God help us to exercise them, to exercise them well and to exercise them in love. Just like the way the Israelites pulled together to build Nehemiah's wall. Let us work together in a body where we cooperate with each other for the good of the body. And if that is so, surely it cannot fail to be a startling success and a witness to the world. But you know, success alone isn't enough. It must be in the right place. When we read about a person in the paper or hear about them in some other media, we'll often see them described as a successful entrepreneur or something. What I mean is that success has to be qualified. You can't just be successful. You have to be a successful businessman or a successful yachtsman or whatever. We need to know what you do to make, to make the success make sense. And there's just such an explanation here in Ephesians. That this joining and knitting and supplying and effective working, what does it do? What is the success? It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is a complicated phrase. It's typical Paul. The first part about growing is easy, but what is this edifying thing? Paul has written here that the effect of working together causes growth of the body for, that means with the purpose of, edifying itself. So the measure, the qualification, the understanding of the startling success that I've just mentioned is this word edification. So what's edification? Well, it's just a flash word for building. So we might rewrite this bit to say that all these things causes growth of the body for the building up 
of itself in love. Well, how does that work? Let me, let me try this illustration. I'm sure, well, I know for a fact that everybody here has had the experience of that dreadful screech that comes from the PA system. It's called feedback. And actually, to be technically correct, it should be called positive feedback. So the next time you stick your fingers in your ears, remember, ah, oh, that's positive feedback, okay? <laughs> well, a simple explanation for this phenomenon is that the microphone picks up the sound from its own loudspeakers, and these sounds are reamplified and sent through the speakers again, which is picked up by the microphone, which is amplified and sent back through the speakers, and so on, and so on. It all happens very quickly, really, until it just gets out of control and makes that, that dreadful noise. And that's clearly a bad thing. But positive feedback can be exactly that. Positive. Imagine, think about the potential for just this church if every single part of the body in here was built up to grow and become stronger. And then they lovingly use that strength for the benefit of the parts around them who lovingly use that benefit for the strengthening of those around them, and so on. Don't you think the whole thing would become very marvelous? Something awesome to be part of? Wouldn't it be a great thing to see? And that's what we're reading about here, growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. But how well are we doing? Tell me, do you think the folk who built Nehemiah's wall, who put the last stone in place, they just walked away without a backward glance and carried on with their day jobs? Of course not. They stood back and they enjoyed it and celebrated. And every day for years after, they would have admired it. See those stones there. I laid them. That gate there, that valley gate, that's where Hanan got his squashed finger. That work would have changed them and the relationships between them in such a great way forever. And that's the feeling we ought to have about our church, the sweet and satisfying fruit of cooperation between ourselves, led by God. Now, I've repeatedly said today that the body of the church is meant to be a representation of God here on earth. Unbelievers ought to be able to look at its people and workings and say, Hey! That's something good. That's something special. I want to be part of that. If we get this right, this church will be full. New believers will be added to us, be fed, and they will grow, and they'll be part of the positive feedback. But we can only build that vision when we work together, as Paul has explained here. And as they did, we read about Nehemiah. They finished that wall, only by working hard together, by facing trials and being focused. And so they managed to finish something <laughs> that had been set aside for hundreds and hundreds of years. Something that just looked impossible. It's not so different right here. It starts with each one of us in the church. Firstly, seeking personal maturity through study and prayer. And then getting up and doing, doing the work that we were designed to do. Fitting into our special place in the body. And doing that work generously 
no matter how small or large it is. No one lied to you. There'll be trials along the way. But don't you think it will, be, it will be better to face them as part of a loving body than just by yourself? And these are just the ordinary and practical ways that we ought to connect with God. But do you see they have the collective potential for the most extraordinary result if we don't just do them piecemeal here and there, but if we do them diligently and in the whole body by cooperating? The thing is, I don't hear people beating on the door right now to be let in. So there must be something wrong. It might just be that we have missed the vision of cooperation that we've read about today in both these passages. And I'd say this suggests that we have work to do together. So I ask, what are we waiting for? Let's pray. Lord, you have given us an extraordinary vision. And I guess that too much of the time it looks like that broken wall looked like back then. Something that, <laughs> that would be nice to have but we just we can't do it. But the fact of the matter is that we can because we have you, we have your Holy Spirit and we have each other. And Lord, I pray that we would start to fit those things together so that we do realize the vision that you have for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.